God, we won't move without you. God, you've got something real important to talk to us about tonight. And it is not about me, but it really is all about you. God, you are, you are so incredible. It, I can't even put it into words. You are so full of grace, and you are so forgiving, and you are so perfect in all that you do. And God, I just pray tonight that you are glorified, and that you change our hearts so deeply forever. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm Connie, and contrary to what Tab thinks, or Miss Joyce thinks, or Keith thinks, I'm not a preacher, okay? Stop it with that. Enough. Stop. That's not... Listen, there are churches where there's like a barrier up here, and this person gets to talk, and everybody out there gets to shut up, so you two cool it, all right? Thank you. That's better. This is, well, this is going well already, I can tell. (laughs) That's better. Whatever. All right. So listen, seriously, all I know how to do is tell you what God has taught me. And quite frankly, he's been beating me up with it for about eight weeks now. So it's about time somebody else got a turn. So that's all I can do. That's all I'm going to do. There's, every time I get to speak, there usually is... Um, a scripture that God kind of brings out and brings to the forefront for the, a week leading up to it. And, and this time it was from Ezekiel. And it's Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 10. And he says, Then he added, Son of man, let all my words sink deeply into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. Then go to your people in exile and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Do this whether they listen or not. So, You know, it's up to you if you want to listen or not. I'm just going to tell you what God's taught me. And I hope that it it actually does make a difference. I've been on kind of this, uh, uh, let's call it a journey, of a perspective change, a shift in perspective. And it really started in December. um, And by the way, I told you so, Brian Burchett. So um, we went to do the Operation Christmas Child shoebox packing. And Lucy Kate and I got to go to a movie, and we got to go to the bounce house, and we got to eat ice cream, and we got to ride the carousel twice at the mall while they all went and packed shoeboxes. So that happened on Saturday. And then a couple of days later, I guess it was on Monday maybe even, I was sitting at work, and I got a text message. And it clearly said Brian Burchett at the top of the text message, okay? And it started like this. It said, hey, sweet lady, I hope you got some rest and are recovering from Saturday. I bet you didn't have to be rocked to sleep Saturday night. I wanted to thank you again. It was super sweet of you to volunteer to keep everyone's kids beginning with y'all, blah, blah, blah. And then at the bottom, it says, I hope she didn't scar you too deeply. I heart you. And I thought, well, that's an interesting text from Brian Burchett. Like, We've worked together here before, and we've, we've like, well, there was one day that, that Kenny and Brian were here, and I helped them just because I wouldn't leave, and so, like, I, 
hey, sweet lady, had, had never come out of his mouth before to me. <laughs> and he certainly had never said, I heart you. So I thought, well, okay. And then almost immediately, the next text said, didn't read this before I sent it. I just did. Sure wish I did. Sure wish I, sure, whatever. Sorry, anyway, sure should have. Something like that. And I thought, okay, so Brian really did send me a text. that. And then I just contemplated it all for a moment. And just forgive me, but I just thought to myself, why can't I find a single man who will talk to me like this? <laughs> But that's fine, whatever. I'm happy for you, Beth. <laughs> so I responded as only I should, and I said, um, well, too late, you should have read it before, but that's going on the screen Sunday. <laughs> so well, I had to wait a few Sundays, but it's on the screens now. So he said, well, that's highly unfortunate. <laughs> and then he said, are you having a hysterectomy today? You know, it's not every day that Brian and I talk about the status of my uterus, but today we were. So I just was immediate. I mean, I kept thinking, how, what are we going to talk about next time we're at church? <sighs> and so I, I just played it off. I was like, oh, you know what? Look, seriously, it was my pleasure to hang out with Lucy Kate. You know, both of your girls are delightful. Um, you know, it was certainly my pleasure you know, all this, and then, you know, I, I said, I'm not having a hysterectomy today. Did you hear that I was? And he said, no, I just thought after Saturday, we, we'd made some comment about that. He said, but, yeah, but Tim's going to want kids. Tim Tebow, of course. <laughs> this mama ain't having no babies, okay? We're going to adopt babies, but then I thought, well, if Tim wants babies, we might give it a shot. <laughs> so... I said, well, you know, I'll adopt the whole village one day. And then he says, y'all will make pretty babies. Okay, Brian, thanks for the vote of confidence, I guess. <laughs> and then, to the praise and glory of Jesus in heaven, I get a text that says, by the way, I guess by now you know this is Beth. Mine and Brian's phones are linked up. And I just thought, God in heaven, I just want to thank you. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't know, I, did, I didn't know. And uh, so the next time I saw them, Brian told me, he said, I was reading all this and I went to remove myself from the group because I thought it was a group message. And then I realized it wasn't a group. You thought this was coming from me. And I said, yes, I did think it was coming from you. I'd never been so confused in all my life. So, I mean... Perspective, you know, it's a lot different when Beth asks you if you're having a hysterectomy than if Brian asks you if you're having a hysterectomy. <laughs> Not that we can't talk about it, but I don't want to. <laughs> somewhere along the way, <laughs> let's transition from that now. Um, somewhere along the way, your opinion of things are become based on your perspective, what you've heard. You hear something, you take it in, you form an opinion about what you've heard, and then that drives some kind of action after that. Okay, does that make sense so far? Yeah, okay, good. So anything that you do begins with some kind of 
thought or some kind of influence or where you've heard some kind of information. So what you wear, where you go, what you eat, if you're going to be on a diet or not, if you're going to read something, what you watch on TV, what movies you go to, you have an opinion about those things because of some influence or some, something you've heard and something you've taken in. So I would, long somewhere after the text message debacle, I saw a, a tweet by Beth Moore. It was right before Christmas. And she said, if you've gotten a recent eye-opener into what you're capable of in your flesh, and it scared you half to death, Merry Christmas. It's a gift. And I thought, well, that's an interesting Christmas present for sure. But really, I mean, we could do a show of hands, but we won't. I mean, how many, anybody else in the room ever done something and looked back and said, God, I can't believe I did that. I, I really didn't think I was capable of that, but apparently I am. So anyway, I just kind of got a new perspective, I guess, lately on, on sin. And I got a new Bible for Christmas, and it is really awesome. And it's a chronological Bible, and so you start at the beginning, of course, and that's the beginning in Genesis. And so we're going to start in chapter 3 of Genesis. And I really started reading chap- the beginning, the Genesis story, um, rather arrogantly, I suppose. Even if you're not a Christian, at some point in time, you've heard about Adam and Eve. And if you are a Christian and you've gotten a degree in religion and you've been in church for what seems like forever, you pretty much think you've learned everything there is to know about Adam and Eve and and how they ate an apple, right? Because it's not an apple. But anyway, but the story goes that God creates the world and everything in it. He creates man and he puts him in the Garden of Eden. And in chapter Oh, it's actually chapter 2 where it starts, where the story starts. It says, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees to grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at that point, then, Adam's there. He's got everything he could ever need, and everything is perfect, and everything is delightful. And then God gives Adam some instructions uh, in chapter in chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may eat freely, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruits, you are sure to die. And so then God makes woman, and then either Adam tells her these instructions or God tells her or somehow she gets these instructions. You may eat freely, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruits, you'll surely die. And that's it. That's the rule. That's the, that's the command. That's all there is to it. That's the one that's off limits. You can't eat that one. So chapter 3 starts, and it's all downhill from there. So the serpent shows up. It says the serpent was the shrewdest. He was the most cunning. He was the most subtle. He was the master deceiver. He was the worst of the worst. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees? Did he really say you can't eat any of the fruit? And Eve answers. She says, Well, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. 
And this is kind of where I think we live a lot of times. That that's not exactly what God said. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. I don't know why you would want to. And I particularly, I personally, not particularly, personally think it was probably a lemon. Because lemons are pretty and they're like little balls of sunshine and they're bright and they're yellow. And then you eat it and it's bitter and it's makes your face turn all kinds of shapes. I think that would make more sense than it being an apple, but that's beside the point. But it's kind of this, I think maybe this little, this tiny little twinge of, of bitterness or we're getting shortchanged or something just kind of started for Eve. You know, God said we can't, we can't even touch it. That's not what God said. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. He said you couldn't eat it. And why did he say it? Well, what he had actually says is you may eat freely any fruit or everything. If I could say it the correct way, it would make more sense. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. You can freely eat. I think she missed out on the freedom that they had. It wasn't just about the restriction, but it was about the freedom that they had to do everything else. And then the enemy does what he does best, and he just flat told a bold-faced lie. I, I mean, there was no other way to say he was a bold-faced lie. He said, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. God had, had specifically told them they would die if they ate the fruit. And I don't know for her any more than I know for me, why God says something, the God of the universe, who has provided everything that you need, says something, and then the enemy says something opposite, and we're like, oh, okay, he must be right. Why, why are we so bent, other than just the flesh, to believe the enemy over God? I don't I mean, I know, I just don't understand why. Why are we like that? Anyway, the woman, it says in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 6, it says the woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They ate it because they wanted it. It looked good. It looked delicious. They wanted it, so they ate it. They let the enemy convince them that God was cheating them out of something, that God had something that he was withholding from them, some goodness, some, some something. Somehow he was cheating them out of what they really wanted. And I got to thinking about how You can't get the greater good, so you think, by using sin to get there. You just can't. It is a phenomenal miracle that God ever takes what is intended for evil and somehow makes it good. But he doesn't owe you that. He doesn't have to do that. If you choose to sin, there are consequences to sin. There are always scars to sin. 
Even if God makes things right, even if there are, there's restoration, even if there's healing, there's always a scar from sin. There's always a scar. And it's not, you don't get to just say, well, I know God will forgive me. I know God will make it right, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it because this is what I want to do anyway, and somehow God will make it right. That's, that's not how this works. That's missing the whole point entirely, completely missing the point. God had guidelines for them. He wasn't keeping them from anything. He's not keeping me from anything. It says in verse 8, it says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord, Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And Kenny's told you, he taught me. When God asks a question, it's an invitation. God didn't lose them. He, didn't, he knew exactly where they were. All he was doing was giving them an invitation to come out of hiding and come back to him. And I thought, you know, what, what, am, what am I hiding from God about? What sin has got me so tangled up that I'm hiding when God really still wants to have a conversation. He's inviting me back to him, but I'm trying to hide from who he is. And it says, Adam said, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And then the next thing God says is where my life has landed lately. He says, who told you that you were naked? And don't get all caught up on the naked. Don't be gross about the naked part, okay? Listen, all God is saying is, who told you the opposite of what I told you? Who told you that? Who told you that? Have you, I mean, have you really ever thought about it like that? Have you, I had never until this, and then one day I heard a little snippet of Beth Moore talking about it, and I was like, yeah. And I started to listen to the whole thing, and I was afraid I'd steal everything she said, so I didn't watch it. But I thought, I just kept coming up this list of questions, and dang, some of them are real, real hard to answer. I'm just going to be honest with you. I had this big argument back there with God last night, actually. I was here, and the band was practicing, and I was back there studying my 87 pages of notes, and I thought, you know, this, this, is, this is good. This is uplifting. This is going to be encouraging. And God said, that's not what this is about. And he said, this is about sin. And I just kind of looked back, and I thought, oh, my word, this is about sin. I don't want to talk about that. That's not fun. And we don't get a vote, really, do we, Keith? But I just kept thinking about all these things. Who told you that sin was okay? Who told you that drugs and alcohol would help? Who told you that your choice to go against God would bring you more joy, more joy than following God? Who told you that you have to lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead? Who told you that God wasn't big enough to help? Who told you that somehow God is out of control of your situation? Who told you that you have to have a spouse? Who told you that God was cheating you out of something because you didn't get what you thought you wanted? Who told you you deserved it? Who told you you should take what you want no matter what God says? Who told you the greater good would ultimately come from you getting what you want, even if you have to sin to get it? Who told you that you had to hurry up and make a way because God wasn't doing things on time? Who told you that you'd be happier with someone else other than your spouse? 
Who told you that you're the only way to be accepted amongst your friends is to do what they say? Who told you that you had to go to prom? Who told you that you have to be involved in the same things your friends are, whether it's clubs or sports or whatever they're doing? Who told you you had to have the acceptance of your coworkers? Who told you that? Who told you that to go against God would ultimately bring you more happiness than going with God? Who told you that? And why do we believe it? Some of those questions are, were real hard for me to answer. Just to sit back and say, I, I don't know. I don't know. Or I do know, and I don't know why I listen to them. But it really, I mean, if you, with Ezekiel 3 saying, let my words sink deeply into your own heart first, man, I had to deal with some of that stuff to say, who, who told me that? And the point really is, if you can't say, if you can't answer the question, who told you that, by going back to Scripture and saying, this is where I, I learned that. This is where I know that to be true. This is where that comes from. Then it really doesn't matter. Andy Stanley says, we assume that we want, what we want and what God wants is at odds. What you want naturally is at odds with what God wants. God wants something for you, not from you. What you want naturally is at odds with what you want ultimately. I ultimately don't want the sin and the scars and the hurt that come from following my own way. I really ultimately don't. I thought about Galatians chapter 5. It says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. It, the the Pharisees, the ones who were trying to keep the law, it was a burden to try to keep all that. And Christ had come to set us free so that it didn't feel like just having to keep a bunch of rules all the time. In, in Isaiah chapter 28, um, the, the major influencers of the day, we could say, the people who were supposed to be in charge, the people who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders, the people who were supposed to be the leaders, they it says in... in Isaiah 28, verse 7, it says, Now, however, Israel's being led by drunks who reel with wine and stagger with alcohol. The priests and the prophets stagger with alcohol and lose themselves in wine. They reel when they see visions and stagger as they render decisions. Their tables are covered with vomit. Filth is everywhere. That's a good group of people to lead you. And it says, they're kind of mocking God. They're saying, who does the Lord think we are, they ask. Why does he speak to us like this? Are we little children just recently weaned? He tells us everything over and over, one line at a time, one line at a time, a little here, a little there. And the notes in my Bible said that in the Hebrew, that's a very difficult passage to translate. That it's really sort of a nonsense to illustrate a point that people were so spiritually blind that God's clearest revelation to them made absolutely no sense. And I kind of thought it was like they were saying, God just keeps going on, blah, blah, blah. That's really how they felt about what God was saying. Blah, blah, blah. And God's, he was going to get their attention. He's going to get mine. 
He says, so now the Lord will have to speak to his people through foreign oppressors who speak a strange language. They were gonna, we've, we talked about Nehemiah. Kenny taught us about Nehemiah, how the, they came in and they were held, the Israelites were held captive and they were drug off because of their sin. And he says, God has told his people, this is the promise that's to come. This is the promise if we'll follow him. He'll say, he says, here is the place of rest. Let the weary rest here. This is the place of quiet rest. And then God kind of gets a little sarcastic too. And he says, but they wouldn't listen. So the Lord spelled out his message for them. One line at a time, one line at a time, a little here, a little there, blah, blah, blah. So they'll stumble and fall. They'll be injured, trapped, and captured. We kind of get this idea like, you know, whatever, God. It's too many rules. I can't keep up with all of it. I can't do it. It's too much. I can't do it. What do you gain by following your own way anyway? What have I ever gained by following my own way when God specifically said no? I gained a truck payment one time. That was a whole lot of fun. Or not. He goes on in Galatians in verse 16. He says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You know why it's so hard? Because your flesh craves it. You know what that feels like. You know what that craving is like. It craves it. That's why it feels so hard to resist. The sinful nature wants to do evil, just, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The enemy wants nothing but evil for you. Everything he says is evil. Everything he says. Everything he says is set up to destroy you. Every single thing. He is only after your destruction at all costs. Every single time. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're under no obligation to the law of Moses. It doesn't just feel like rules anymore. It feels like a struggle against the flesh. It feels like a fight. Because it is a fight. It really is. That's why it feels like such a fight. I went to Gatlinburg... And I just, whatever, throw your stones or don't, I don't care. I went to Gatlinburg a couple of months ago and was working with Samaritan's Purse. And so we were helping people whose houses had burned down after the fire. And it was awful. Okay, I went by myself. I needed to get my head clear. I felt like I knew that's where God wanted me to go. And the whole time I was there, I just kept wishing that I was working with y'all. Like, I could literally see your faces. We were down in the basement one day, and this guy threw something because he wasn't looking, and he almost hit me. And I thought, if that was Keith, I'd say, Keith, quit trying to kill me out here. You know, and then Keith would say, shut up. I don't want to talk to you. You know, whatever. So we would fight, you know, you know. But I didn't know any of these people, so I didn't get to use sarcasm for three days. I thought I was going to wither away to nothing. And it was so cold. Oh, my gosh, y'all. You can't defeat 22 degrees. You just can't. And, like, you hear 22 degrees, and then you walk outside, and your body just, like, clenches up, and your, your face is all frozen. And I'd have called and talked to you. My lips were like, it's really cold. Okay, it was awful. It was so bad. I met some people, and they were kind, and it was, you know, that was fun. But I was so tired after the last day, and I was driving home, and, I was thinking about sin, the fight against sin, and 
judge me if you will. I'm sitting in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru about to head out of town. And I thought, God, I am so tired of dealing with sin. I just really don't even want to be alive anymore. I just don't want to be here. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm so tired of fighting this. And I mean, in a blink, God reminded me, the only reason we are here is for his glory. If he left us here for this struggle, it's for his glory. And it's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. At the very least, it gives us this fellowship with Jesus that is unlike anything else because he really has been there. He really has. He really has experienced it too. He was tested in every way. He knows what that's like for you. So in Galatians verse 19, it says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. We know what that leads to. And we've seen this list, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've seen this list over and over and over again. I don't know why. Who told you that following the flesh was better? Because it leads to this. Sexual immorality, all kinds of sexual misconduct, impurity, anything that's not holy, lustful pleasures, idolatry, what you want more than God, whatever it is. Sorcery, trying to manipulate people into doing what you want them to do. Hostility, who do you stay mad at? Quarreling, who do you not get along with and you don't want to get along with them? Jealousy, that's where I live most of the time. Everybody has what I want. They have more time off or they have a better car or they have a good-looking husband or they have kids or, you know, whatever. They get to go on mission trips, whatever. That's, that's where I live a lot of times. Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. Who, who you letting, who's the crowd that gets to influence you? And other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Where does that lead you? And where does it leave you? Because you think about the enemy after he tempted Eve and he got them all messed up. He didn't gain anything out of that. He just left them. He had to account for what he had done. But it wasn't like he was hanging out with the big party after it was all over. In verse 22, it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. Those that belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Think about how your whole perspective on the choices you're about to make changes if you just ask the question, who told you that? Who told me that? Why is that so important to me? Why do I want to do that so badly? Who told me that? And I thought about how There really are times in here on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night that I just wish I could come and lay down up here for like an hour or so. I don't know why, just, I I just, I could, I could sleep in one of those tents, I think, one night and just be here all night long, just laying here at the altar. 
And I thought it was so interesting that he didn't say to go and lay this down at the feet of Jesus or at the cross. He said that you have to nail the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucify them there. You know, I mean, I know this series is called Bold, but I thought, you want to be bold? Love him more than you love the enemy. Follow him more than you want to follow your own flesh. That's bold. Make that hard choice every single time. That Talking to me, look, I've got to make that hard choice every single time. If Jesus didn't say it, if you can't say, who told you that, and the answer would be Jesus, then don't do it. And I thought about nailing things to the cross, you know, nailing something. It's not, it's not easy. It takes blunt force to get a piece of metal through a board. It takes a lot of effort, and it's loud, and it's, you know, it's not quiet, and it's not peaceful. I don't know. It just, it's a big deal. It's takes a lot of work sometimes. Let's see how good I am at my nailing skills here. It's not easy. It's worth it. But it's certainly not easy. Who told you that you don't have the power to overcome the sin? Who told you that you're obligated to do the sin? That you can't say no? Romans chapter 8 verses 11 and 12. It says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will, give you, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. It may be the hardest thing you've ever had to do. It has been for me. But it's worth it. Let's pray. God, I just pray. God, I pray that you'll give us the strength to choose you. God, when everything in us wants our own way, wants to do our own thing, thinks that we know best, thinks that you have somehow failed us, God, I pray that we'll choose you. It's literally the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my spiritual walk. God, you're worth it. God, the last time I stood here, I said, I swear I trust you. And it's been hard. But I do. 
God, I pray that we'll trust you when we don't understand, when we don't know what you're doing, and when it feels like you're not nearby. God, I pray that we'll ask ourselves, who told us that? And that we'll follow you no matter how hard it is. And I pray it in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen.